Alright, Bizzlecast listeners, welcome to the Bizzlecast. I'm here with my buddy Gabriel, a.k.a. Koja. Did I get that right, buddy? No, it's uh, Quojo. 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 Quojo, a.k.a. Quojo, which is your what? Ghanaian name means born, it means born on Tuesday. Not not like last Tuesday, but just like <laughs> Tuesday in general. Like It's like born on the 4th of July. Um <laughs> And wait, but you have a third name as well. If you want to share it, just I love that you have so many names. I have uh, oh, you, you don't even know the whole story, but it's uh, I have a Tibetan name that was given to me uh, in Tibet at a monastery. It's uh, Gelik Nima. Hmm. It means uh, like a radiant sun, like a star sun. Beautiful, beautiful. The reason I'm asking Gabriel these things is because I'm curious. And uh, I like to get personal with the Bizzlecast listeners, but also with your third podcast, you're now officially a co-contributor to the Bizzlecast. Um, that's a, an award for performance with hopes that you will come back in the future. Uh, but there's no, uh, you know, there's no real responsibilities. Now, everyone so far has been promoted once a t-shirt, but you had a different idea about a gift for being a co-contributor, right? Yeah, maybe, you know, like a Captain Planet ring or something, we can... <laughs> We can always summon you if we need you, you know, something like that. Which of the five rings would you take? I don't want to be stereotyped. I got to go with my boy Kwame. He had Earth, right? Earth. Uh, he, had, he had the sweet box haircut. Yeah, you know, I like Kwame, man. Let's go. Let's go. Well, I would definitely go Heart just because, you know, it's like the mind gem in, in the Avengers. You know, you can, like, control people with it. You know, like, if, if I have the Heart Ring, I can control the other four uh, on the team, right? Theoretically? Or am I wrong? You know, it's been a while since I've seen that show. <laughs> And yet, I still remember the theme music. No, I, and I'm, I hope I got that right with the with the Kwame who had the Earth power. No, you are right. You're okay. definitely right. Yeah, you're you're 100 right. So, anyways, welcome officially to the co-contributor family. Uh, it's great to have you back, and finally on a solo podcast. The topic of this podcast is going to have to do with uh, race and Hollywood, and I'm calling it race and Hollywood, and not racism in Hollywood, because I want to have a broader discussion, and I don't want to alienate any listeners right off the bat. And we will assess, you know, what level of racism there is going on and what types there are at some point, but I'm going to keep it about race and Hollywood. And this just happened to work out in terms of me wanting to get Gabriel on a solo because Gabriel first appeared to talk about Star Wars. It was a Star Wars. It's been all Star Wars. I was a little oh. out of my element. Oh, but yeah. It's oh, been... that's right. You did the pre. You did I the did preview the... and then the review. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Awesome. I loved our review with you and Matt. Uh, that was a lot of fun to re-listen to a couple times. People really dug that. So we're we're not completely off Star Wars because I think our boy Finn is going to come up at some point in this discussion, perhaps. However, the Academy Awards are fast approaching. As of this recording, it's uh, Wednesday, January twenty seventh. I believe the Oscars are. Shit, when are the Oscars? They are February 28th, so we're about exactly a month away. And what do you know, between the four acting categories and the director's categories, which is 25 total awards, you have absolutely zero, not only black people, but people of color, with the exception, I suppose, of Inaritu for The Revenant. He's Mexican, uh, you know... I, 
the people of color designation these days, I'm really not sure what counts. So I'll, I'll call him a person of color. You could expand that also to include Best Picture no- nominations, right? Does that include Best Picture noms? Right, right. He will, he would be he would be in it for the Revenant with Best Picture. Yeah. Are there eight eight movies nominated this year, or they they're still doing the f- just the five? No, there are eight. There are eight movies, yeah. and somehow not only. Creed, which is going to form the bulk um, or, or part of the bulk of our early conversation because some of the greatest <laughs> c- uh, critics and minds in the country are highly uh, confused and or offended by Creed's absence, but they still had two spots. You can go up to 10. So it's it'd be one thing if there were 10 and it just got shut out, but it really got drafted because there are still spots open. And, you know, <laughs> if you look at the awards for this year... And as Gabriel and I were talking off mic uh, before we started recording, we're going to sort of start with 2015 in film because it's it's freshest in all of our memories and it's very instructive. And it is maybe a breaking point based on the fact that the host of the show, Chris Rock, is going to structure his entire monologues ar- around this race issue and they're not trying to stop him. We'll get back to that. But so we're going to start here, but then we're going to go. We're going to go back in time. Because, you know, the first African-American actor to win an Oscar um, was Hattie McDaniel for Gone with the Wind in 1939. So this goes way, way, way back. But most of the awards have been in the last 20 years. And we'll talk about the politics behind all of that. Now, this year for the Academy Awards for Best Picture, you mind if I just run through it real quick? Yeah, go for it. All right. Cause, okay. So these are all the movies that are not Creed or Straight Out of Compton, and I'm going to say which of these films uh, I think those two movies are better than. And you, you know, you can say you know, drop whatever you want. So uh, this is alphabetical order, basically. Bridge of Spies, not good. Both Compton and Creed, way better. I hated Mad Max Fury Road. I've tried to rewatch it. Everyone I know and respect loves it. You know what I. I, I'm glad it got nominated just because it's so left field from like the normal Academy, what what gets praised from the Academy Awards. So I'm OK with I'm OK with it getting in, getting in. I, mean, I, I do think that it was groundbreaking in a lot in many ways and like we'll have a, like a lasting impact on cinema moving forward. So. I'm okay with, with Mad Max being up there. I'm going to keep my mouth shut about Mad Max. <laughs> it's like Game of Thrones. You get me going, I'll never shut up about how much I hate it. Um, The Revenant, which I'm just really not interested in seeing, but it's... it's... Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Like, yeah. Like, visually, like, some of the things, like, the cinematography, some of the shots, like, the beauty of this movie are, are like, astonishing. Really, really. Like, Leo, like, really, like, he went all out and trying to get this 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 best actor nomination in this one just him it's it's two hours to over two hours of him just like crawling through the ice and the mud but just so beautifully shot so like brutal but really just the artistry and the and it's just it just screams like this is a film like the process is just at the forefront but in in a way that doesn't doesn't overwhelm you you still get fully engrossed it's possibly like one of top 10 most beautifully beautifully shot beautiful to look at movies ever ever made without doubt and alejandro inaritu who directed the revenant but was also a producer would be 
involved with the Best Picture Award. Uh, one for Birdman last year, a movie which I love. Really is one of my favorite movies ever, certainly in the last five years. That, more than Leo or the subject matter, would make me go see the movie just for the cinematography. I just don't like ni- like nihilistic movies that are just purely about survival and don't really say anything uh, is the impression I get. I, I, you know, I, I get that it's supposed to be beautiful. This seems like too obviously just trying to get Leo an award. Maybe I'm just cynical. I don't know. Fair, fair. Your concerns are, are fair and like valid. But in spite of those things, in spite of being like award bait and it still, it does, it achieves things that are just, are just mind blowing, mind blowing. Like you, it really, it has to be, has to be viewed. I'm going to get back to the three films that I do believe are worthy. I really only. So there's Room, which I didn't see, with Brie Larson, who apparently is like a lock to win for Room. A bizarre story about being, you know, kidnapped and locked in a room essentially with their kid, and uh, that's not my type of movie. Uh, Brooklyn, you know, you got to have sort of an off kilter indie movie that no one's seen. Um, every year i actually went into it and for the first half hour was extremely bored but it was so well done and the lead actress who's very 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 young woman from ireland and it's about being irish in new york like 50 years ago was absolutely spectacular uh and i was really on board i definitely wouldn't put it best picture now the three that i've seen that i can see winning uh there's two that go together one's spotlight and one's the big short and while they're filmed very differently, and The Big Short is a lot funnier and more fast-paced, um, are dealing with major, major social issues. Spotlight being the priest scandal that was uncovered by the Boston Globe um, in 2001, 2002. The Big Short uh, dealing with a more recent issue having to do with a number of different ca- unrelated characters, including Christian Bale and Steve Carell and some others, who, because they were brilliant, predicted the mortgage crisis before it happened, made tons of money on it, but ended up feeling really bad about the whole thing. This is a true story, uh, because they weren't betting against the failure of the economy directly. They were betting against the failure of these horrible banks, investment banks, but you know, ultimately they were benefiting from the suffering of people. Um, very interesting movie, very funny and quirky, but the last one, and the one I think should win, since Creed's not on the list, is The Martian. And and just from pure filmmaking, I know The Martian's like, yeah, you feel good story and The Revenant's so, you know, dark and, and, and you know, Mad Maxi and whatever. Sometimes they award the, those types of movies and sometimes they go for the more feel good movies. But Martian's a feel good movie with a lot of heart to it. And it's also a very diverse cast. I mean, there's, there's as many people of color, um, actually maybe more people of color in that uh, movie than there are white people. Donald Glover, Chiwetel Ejiofor, uh, Bruce Ng. Um, who who's the head of JPL? You have like all the Chinese people who start getting involved, right? right. Uh, Pena, oh, what's the first name? Uh, Michael, Michael Pena. Pena. Yep. yep, yep, yep. It's a diverse cast. It's Ridley Scott, who somehow in his seventy-eight years has never won an award with Alien. I mean, a director award. He did win a producer award for Gladiator, Best Picture. Not won a director award. Won't win this year. Anyways, point being, you look down that list. We can count how many black people are in these movies. Seriously. Seriously. I mean, I I hate to put this away. Bridge of Spies, no major black characters. Fury Road, no major black characters. Revenant, were there black characters? Uh, there was use of the N word. There was, <laughs> but no black characters. Tons of tons of uh, native uh, indigenous American characters with and some prominent. 
Spotlight, I, which I did really like, I'd be okay winning, didn't, I believe, have a single black face on the screen because both the reporters and the people they're investigating and interviewing were all white Catholics from Boston. That was sort of the point. The Big Short, no major black characters. Room, I don't know. I don't think so. Brooklyn was just a bunch of Irish girls in, in Brooklyn. So if you look at this list, The Martian's the only one with major black characters. And by the way, I rewatched The Martian recently. I'd seen it a bunch in the theater, but I rewatched it before I did my top three podcast, uh, Bizzlecast, I believe, 38, if you guys haven't checked it out. Uh, will have been the most recent one before this, where I do top three films of 2015. I went back and watched The Martian, and you know how when, when they do credits... They go like with all the fa- they like the most famous people at the beginning and then progressively less famous. But then at the very end, there's like a with or and also starring, you know, credit, right. which is like the most important person. Right. Guess who that was? Was that uh, Edge of Four? That was Edge of Four. Yeah. They kept teasing him in the credits. And that's the thing. He was the fulcrum of that entire movie. As I talked to talk about him with my dad in relatively you know, for a relatively young guy, he's already kind of become a legend in Hollywood. I mean, he's been in every type of movie. He always kills it. Everybody wants to work with him and have him in their movie. Yeah, he's done. He's done so much uh, with the was the Firefly movie, um, Serenity. Serenity. You know, he's in there with the with the nerds. Oh, he's not just in there. He oh, he wait, plays he's... one of the great, you know, one dimensional bad guys that's still highly compelling that's ever been seen in any kind of genre movie or any movie. I mean, that's one of the great bad guy characters ever because he's so calm, he's so brutal, he's a total monster, but he has this weird ideology. He's not just like the Joker, you know, he really has goals. And then in the end, they flip him after all of that, and you totally buy it, even though he's a one-dimensional baddie. That's where he actually really came to my attention. I saw that, you know, 10 years ago or so. And since then, I made it my mission to see all of his films, both before and after. So versatile. Have you seen uh, Red Belt? Red Belt's the one I haven't seen. Oh, ooh. yeah, I know. So I know. good, so good. But um, a master of Brazil- Brazilian jiu-jitsu totally, totally pulls it off. And a really down-to-earth story, just about a guy running a dojo and just man, such a pivotal part of the plot is just them trying to deal with finances. How are they going to make ends meet? You know, still trying to run a small business, and right. uh, he's being asked to like maybe train a professional fighter. I'd- and doesn't really want to get back into like or fight professionally and he doesn't really want to get back into it but yeah very very good role for him just just shows his range this is a perfect place to jump off buddy because in 2013 he was nominated for best actor um for 12 years a slave which i assume you have seen yes but could only watch one time (laughs) yes i saw it in the theater could only watch one time yeah now, yeah. someone did win for that movie, and that person is Lupita Nyong'o, and she was fantastic. <laughs> she was basically getting tortured the whole time, I, and Ejiofor had a much higher level of difficulty because he had to carry the whole movie, I thought. Now, Steve McQueen, uh, you know, uh, nominated for Best Director and, uh, you know, won for best picture did 12 years a slave and so she would tell you know got to have a little love or get a little love i should say uh, with the movie winning best picture but with 12 years a slave being you know by far the most recent um you know black quote-unquote black movie to win best picture oh and by the way it's the only one ever (laughs) you've got you've got the color purple in 85 Precious and Blindside in 09, 
Django Unchained 2012 and Selma at 2014. And, you know, so all of them other than Color Purple have been in the last five or six years. Only 12 years a slave has won. We know Creed's not going to get it. We definitely know that uh, Straight Outta Compton's not going to get it. You know, what is this saying? I, I mentioned in the podcast, man, that... You know, I, I hate to paint in a broad brush, and if I'm out of line here, please stop me, but it seems to me that the three most common movies that people actually see that make money and that do relatively well, you know, with a lot of black people involved, are sports movies, music movies, or slave movies. I could be wrong. You know, and sadly, traditionally, in American society, those are the roles that we had that were most embraced by old the old white establishment which happens to be the the members that make up make up the academy and who are voting for these for these movies like what they can relate to where you, you mentioned creed and straight out of compton which really are about the current state of blackness in america and, and specifically young black men in america and you know they it just is not relatable to to the the academy they just they just can't really put themselves in their shoes, they they see it as foreign, probably. I mean, of course, this is speculation. You know, I'm trying to I'm trying to give them the, the benefit of the doubt that maybe it's not just like outright racism, but maybe it is just from their point of view, from their perspective, as like they just can't wrap their heads around and put themselves in the shoes of a young black black male. I'm so glad you said that and how you, but also how you presented it because, <laughs> I mean, I couldn't have said it better than you. You look at Creed and you say, you know, sports movie. You look at Straight Outta Compton and you say music movie. But it's really about the black experience. And this is why it's even more offensive that those two movies haven't gotten more love. Not just the Oscars, but just in general. Because these are two movies that say, okay, yes, we know that, you know, a lot of successful black movies or or successful movies with black stars involve musicians or athletes. But in both cases... You know, like in Creed, he's just a black guy trying to get by and, and figure out his identity, who happens to be a boxer, right? And NWA is a little bit more tied up with their music, obviously, but it was still, there was very little music in that movie. It was really about their lives. Well, in Creed, he's, he's not trying to get by. He's trying to find himself and using, using boxing as a way to find himself and establish his own identity. I didn't mean, sorry to interrupt you, I did not mean get by from a financial sense. Okay. I, I meant okay. find find his way in the world, find his identity. And so, you know, we haven't really specified this much. Uh, Straight Outta Compton made a lot of money and was one of the highest reviewed movies of the year. Go ahead, Gabriel. Well, it did, it did get a, what, Best Original Screenplay nod? Did, did it? Yeah, it was nominated, the uh, two white writers. It did, it did get a Best Screenplay. Um, I'm not seeing it on on my list here because it's two the two the the writers are white. That's why uh, it's not coming up on a list. Uh, 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 uh. So they're white writers for a black movie. That's unbelievable. And you know, and Creed Stallone gets nominated, and the star Michael B. Jordan doesn't. Um, and the the, the, the director, oh Ryan Coogler, not being nominated is the is the real travesty. When you really like go behind the scenes and like see that you know it was his. It was like his baby, and of course, like he brought Michael B. Jordan in because they yeah. had a relationship in the past. Like he really had to pitch it to Stallone. He really had you know? to convince Stallone. Yeah, it was not easy. 
Most people don't know, actually, that his his plans for Creed started before they did pre-production on Fruitvale Station like, a few years back. Um, he presented the idea to Michael B. before they started Fruitvale Station, and they basically spent the next couple years you know, making Fruitvale Station, but also pitching it to, to Stallone until Stallone agreed. But you know what? There's a really great consolation prize for Ryan Coogler. Um, I have three words for you. You ready? Go for it, man. Black fucking panther. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh very, my god! Very exciting development on that on that one. I was so so happy to see that. I, I mean, you know, we like to sidebar in the Bizzlecast. Now, you being uh, an African American, but you know, an African American who's African and African American. I don't know your true lineage, <laughs> but you're you're yeah. You're, like you, my my father's from was born in Ghana. Okay. Uh, uh, emigrated to the states in like the late seventies, and my mother's born in Brooklyn. Uh, like my grand grandmother was like one of those like, the inventors of cool like Harlem Renaissance, you know, Negroes, and and I'm extremely proud of her. And and uh, so yeah, I, I do have that that you know I'm African American, yeah. Definitely. So I don't know how familiar you are with Black Panther in in terms of the comic books, but. To, to you know, to say he's an empowered character is a huge understatement. So, Black Panther is the king of a very highly advanced African nation called Wakanda. His real name's T'Challa. He goes by Black Panther. Um, it is a made-up country, but culturally, it's very based on a number of different African cultures. They just happen to be sort of a secret country that has you know vibranium, and so they're rich and they have a very advanced culture. So, you know. You've got that, but Black Panther is one of the smartest and most capable and powerful superheroes in the Marvel Universe. He hasn't been able to sustain a comic book, although in the mid-2000s, Reggie Hudlin, who I think you probably know who Reginald Hudlin is, maybe not. He's a big uh, black producer in Hollywood. He used to run BET back in the day. You know, he produced Django Unchained, and he's actually part of how Chris Rock got the job. Not just got the job, but Hudlin's one of the executive producers on this Oscar, <laughs> and so I think he's, you know, letting Chris do what he wants. He probably would have done what he wants anyway. Hudlin's a great writer, and he helped reboot the Black Panther franchise in like '05 with a number of uh, trade paperbacks that are pretty good. The art's pretty good. His writing is great. It's such a cool concept, Black Panther. And you add Chadwick Boseman to you know play Black Panther, and now you've got Ryan Coogler directing it. I've been predicting for a while that that's going to be one of the best Marvel movies ever, and might be the best in this Phase Three, as they're calling it, even better than the Cat movie. And you know, just before I pass it back to you, Gabriel, I want to make yet another prediction, which is now that Ryan Coogler is involved, depending on the script. But they're going to be making it in Africa. It's going to be dark and very real and very modern. That could be, I'm not going to say it's going to win, but that I think is going to be the first Marvel movie to get nominated for Best Picture. I don't think it was going to win necessarily, but I, I, more than any other Marvel or, or DC movie I, you know, coming up, Black Panther seems to be the one. And again, there's going to be some political reasons between that happening or not happening. Go ahead. Oh, just wanted to add that there was a Black Panther animated series. I think it was short run, no more than six or 12 episodes that aired on BET. Hmm. I think around maybe three or three or four years ago. Yeah, it's because of Reggie Hudlin. Yeah, that, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. Like a unique, a unique animation style, very like simple, kind of stylized. Like it's not super fluid the way it's animated. But you know, I only watch like 
part of the first first episode. But yeah, I just want to like let people know like this. There's more 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 uh, sources for the for your Black Panther needs out there. Well, and, and this is a hundred percent contrast to Twelve Years a Slave. So before we get down to Twelve Years a Slave, let me just lay it out for you. Black Panther, black director, check. Black writers, I'm ninety nine point nine percent sure that that's happening, and I'm sure that Kugler will be involved yeah, in the writing. Definitely, he's he's established himself as being more than capable of you know giving giving you dialogue that's impactful believable natural yeah and then you got one of the most talented charismatic and promising up and coming i don't even know if up and coming's the right word because he's had numerous acclaimed roles already chadwick boseman it's just that he's young he's already played james brown and jackie Robinson. robinson yeah talk about music and sports with black actors right um but now we got comic books and marvel's really ahead of the curve finally with the black comic books point being Almost every character in Black Panther is going to be black and probably African or playing an African. There's only one confirmed white character so far, which is Andy Serkis as Ulysses Claw, who's the big bad guy. He's basically an arms dealer and mercenary from South Africa. You know, if you've ever seen Leo in Blood Diamond, uh, it's a little bit like that, although way more brutal. And he was in Age of Ultron, uh, the Avengers 2 Age of Ultron, if anyone saw that, where where uh, Ultron steals his vibranium and cuts off his arm, and that arm actually gets replaced by, like, a bionic arm. And so, yeah, you're going to have a bunch of good guy black Africans, you know, going after some bad guy white, you know, white Africans. Uh, should be interesting mix. But then you go to 12 Years of Slave, and my problem with 12 Years a Slave is, you know, no one has any agency. And I get that that's what slavery was about, but you're literally just on the sidelines watching people get tortured the entire time. And for Lupita Nyong'o to win when half of her screen time is being tortured and then hung... I mean, what does that say about the Academy? I'm not saying she didn't deserve it, but we just don't have another, you know, we don't have a lot of other black actresses who won awards or even were nominated to compare that to. Yeah, it's, 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 it's sad. You know, it's really sad that, you know, that is the film that they, they chose to reward. Like that those are the role, the roles that get rewarded where it's just, and just, oh man, just the scene that stuck with me the most was just, um, you know, Solomon Northrup's character being, you know, just showing his feet dangle and him struggle not to not to be strangled, uh, not to be hung. And that scene, it, it just drug on for like it was like literally two minutes continually continuous shot of just him struggling and his feet barely touching the ground. And I, it was like it, it bordered on like historical torture porn for me. Oh, like, yeah. I, you know, I really, you know, the, the lines between that and just the setting of like a hostile movie or like one of the uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre remakes, you know, it was, the lines were blurred for me. I was like, this is, this is too much. But, you know, I got nominated for Best Picture. Well, and this might be a true oh, story. One, one Best Picture, right? It did win Best Picture. One Best Picture. If yep. you can watch that movie, like, really, if you could sit, I, 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 I can, it was a great movie, you know, or technical acting, uh, technical achievements, but I could not. Ne- I would never want to watch that movie again. And maybe that's a maybe that's a credit to how powerful a movie it was. But yikes! Like it's it's a uh, it's it's a, it's a dark. It's a really dark and uh, real. And I mean, it's a reflection of the darkness of the period that it that is based on. You know, and, and you know, props to the movie for that. But you know, what what lessons can can be taken from that and really? like applied to to our current day like it's not really something that you know it is so steeped in its historical context that you you know you can't really apply it that easily to things going out and and it, how 
painful it is to watch will probably lessen its impact going forward. I was actually somewhat offended by the movie, and, and it had to do with the movie making, not the movie itself. Can I bring in a, a couple other properties to make a point here that oh, seem we'll, disparate we'll, but work we'll, in my head? Okay, so I did a commentary, audio commentary, full length, for The Dark Knight recently with my buddy Aaron, a.k.a. Aaron, uh, which was a blast. Um, I hadn't seen that movie in a while, and so much going on in that movie. Uh, so intense, not perfect, but a great comic book movie, great overall movie. Anyways, th- there's a lot of philosophical stuff going on with the Joker. And one of the things that he talks about is how, and he's sort of right on this one point, is it's so absurd that I think he says, you know, when a soldier dies or a gangbanger dies, like no one cares because that's what's supposed to happen. But when a mayor dies or a DA dies, then it's like the end of the world, right? It's, right. This is related to us still holding on to the fact that 9-11 was so much worse than other tragedies that have gone on around the world the last 15 years. No one will say it in these terms that some lives are worth more than others in certain people's eyes, right? And I know this is a weird comparison, but it, it's sort of, you know, it's almost the the, the journey of... Uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor's character, Solomon, right, is his name? Yeah, Solomon Northrup, I believe. Yeah, Solomon Northrup is reminiscent of uh, uh, Saving Private Ryan, right? Which Saving Private Ryan is all about how they're going to sacrifice like dozens or hundreds of people to save this one guy who's not even that important just because his brothers all died in the war, you know, and we're going to sacrifice everyone else to get this guy so that his parents feel better. And I remember watching that movie as a kid, even from the beginning, being like, really? Like, I'm not sacrificing myself for this kid. And in 12 Years a Slave, what's going on? You're rooting for him to get rescued, and you're not even dealing with everyone else. Yeah, it was painful. They did, uh, was it Omar from The Wire? You know, he, yeah. they did him dirty in the beginning. <laughs> terrible. Like, no, you know. One thing I want to interject, and I always... But you know what I mean, though, before you jump yeah. in? Yeah, like, before, you, before I go in another direction, yeah, I, I understand completely where... You know, it mean, meaning it's like he's a free man, and then he's a slave, and then he leaves, and it's like nothing ever happened except yeah. he had this horrible experience, and right. everyone and, else and is still slaves. And because he was free and he, he could play the, the violin, yeah. ultimately his life was more viable than the millions of other of other people going through the exact same experience. Like, he was the one that, you know, he, he deserved his freedom. Yeah, we're really... You know, makes you question, uh, yeah, the entire like the plot and you know why you're made to care for this this one person. And he was so passive too. I mean, it wasn't Edgefor's fault. <laughs> you know, he played it great, but he he never even tried to do anything really. He was totally passive. And uh, I have a comparison movie, but you were about to say something before, so so jump on you know, in. This is like you might have to cut and edit this in another spot, but the omission. Uh, of the blade mentioning the blade movies is like something that's like a personal crusade of mine. like sure we were just talking about like those blade movies for me were like super important I, I think you know if you look at the timeline of you know the first blade movie actually predated like the first x-men movie i believe and like really was like the first this modern wave of of uh superhero movies can really um you know this is post post batman and robin debacle where you know really made the superhero film viable again and even uh, Blade 2, directed by uh, Guillermo del Toro, is like one of my favorite, just like all out fun 
kind of guilty pleasure movies of all time. So just wanted to like put that out there that and that's you know just give Wesley Snipes and 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 the the Blade character it's due that that was like a super strong badass black character that that really uh you know we owe like a great a great debt for like you know kind of paving a way for this new wave. And, uh, I, I think you're absolutely right about that. You know, I listen to a lot of nerd podcasts. But I was going to say is that I, I've heard the Blade thing before, where people say that Blade was actually the first of the modern movies because the Batman movies in the '90s were terrible. Guillermo del Toro is fantastic. I love the Hellboy movies as well. But you know, I will say, you know, a if he had been a white superstar instead of Wesley Snipes. I don't know. At the time, Wesley Snipes, you know, was pretty beloved by both, well, definitely by white people. I don't know if black people like Wesley Snipes. You know, I grew up loving Wesley Snipes, so I don't think that was the issue there. I think it was more that it was vampires, it felt, and it wasn't a major property. I mean, it's not a coincidence that they rebooted, you know, the the superhero movie genre with X-Men and Spider-Man, because those are the two biggest properties by far, at least from the Marvel Universe. Um, so I just wanted to, to jump in there. You know, you're, you're, you're certainly on point and, and, and you know the fact that it was a black guy even if it was wesley snipes uh is, is something to take into consideration go ahead no just just uh wanted to just throw throw that in there and um let's see where are we 12 years a slave so yeah so you've yeah. got you, <laughs> so i mean let's just let's just break it down here all right so there have been 13 african-american actors who have won academy awards either for best actor actress or best supporting actor and actress okay now, all but two of them have come since 1982, and all but four of them have come since 1990. <laughs> it's hard to know where to start, so why don't we just go backwards and try and dissect, you know, why the person won. Was it symbolic? Was it like a legacy award? Was it just a heat of the moment thing, like when Crash somehow became best film? Um, actually, that would be an interesting movie to talk about uh, in terms of uh, people of color. But um, it's in 2009, uh, Monique uh, won for Precious. I did not see that movie. Did you? Yeah, I saw it. I saw it in theaters. You think she was deserving? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Especially just from Monique's career. Like if you if you know her as a as an, a comedic actress, which is you know where she got her start. I believe she was a mother on just a sitcom starring Brandy. Uh, that's what that was her most notable uh, role up until that point. I think she was like in stuff like Soul Plane. I think she was, you know, before that, like really, really black movies that were, you know, I, I did air quotes. You can't see them, but like, quote unquote, like kind of black comedies. And um, no, she really, really just came out of nowhere with just like a really dark, very, very grounded, very serious performance that that really no, no one saw coming. Yeah, really like one of the one of the great villains like on some like mommy dearest very like real like two real villains in and villainous women uh characters in in recent movies um kathy bates character in um misery uh mommy dearest like along those lines like really scary really dark just like abusive mother like it's up there on that level you know and and also in terms of like pop culture hip-hop culture like the role is like very its impact in in black culture is like is cont- continues on like where the role is like mentioned constantly you know it's almost become do you like Monique and Precious is like a thing like I'm gonna be that level of like harshness and, and evil like it's it's a thing like it's really really worth watching definitely definitely you should should see it. An- another 
you know, it's another performance where, and the, and the movie itself is like, it's it's very dark. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to have any spoil. You know what? It, it, I don't want to get into spoilers. No, that's okay. That was great. But it's like the most. It deals with like current issues in the black community, but like the most extreme, darkest elements of like the modern black experience that like not that many people can relate to. Like this is uh yeah, just like the most extreme. Mm. Yeah, and I don't I don't know what what would be spoilers, but uh, it's it's a delicate. I don't I don't want to spoil it for you, but just like imagine, like I said, I meant I mentioned Mommy Dearest, I mentioned Misery, like that kind of that kind of like torturous things that happened to um I think Gabrielle Sibade's character was uh and she was also nominated for 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 best actress or or best no it was definitely her movie so best best actress I believe for Precious and um you know well deserved also like the movie was extremely powerful but again it's it's one of those movies again like where you know you don't you don't really want to watch that movie again like it's it's very dark very very powerful and the things that, that happen in the movie are just like very cruel and uh you know hard to watch i believe uh i believe like oprah oprah was like one of the producers i forget i forget the yes the, the director i forget oprah the director involved yeah she's much deserved you know deserved i don't know if Mo- monique has done anything else like since then of that heft but well this is a problem that's not just for black women i will say there is a uh you know, there is a thing about young women um, or women who haven't done a lot of work who win Oscars. There's a whole list of this online. I don't have it in front of me who who don't get a lot of work again. It almost hurts them because, you know, it's like too much success too soon. And then people don't want to deal with Oscar winners if they're not like veterans. We'll table that for now. You know, I'm looking at the list here. Why don't I, uh, I'm going to try and group uh, some of these together in terms of the the movies or the themes of the movies or who's behind it uh we did talk about you know sports music and slavery and i guess the fourth category would be the precious category of black life in the modern day right well, that's what we really want more of correct correct okay. but of course uh you know in, in that case it was like extremes you know and even if it was you know 12 years a slave you know, or another movie that was a historical drama period piece, but showed like normal life of like functioning, you know, African-American or black families, just like relating to each other kind of just in normal situations. And I guess, you know, the way you describe Brooklyn as just like, you know, people living there like ordinary lives and under under less extreme conditions or uh, less extreme situations is what what's like kind of desperately need needs we need more of and recognition of of those things which i think creed definitely you know uh, we need more movies like creed and we need more recognition for movies like creed and and the success that it it had at the box office and you know that and straight out of compton you know it's you know, it speaks for itself. The success that it had it speaks for itself. So, you know, even though they weren't recognized by the Academy, you know, the, the movie going public spoke, you know, spoke with their with their tickets and, and, and went and supported the movie, saw it multiple times. And, um, you know, it speaks for itself that people are relating to it. 
and the directors, I'm sure, you know, the actors are going to move on and do do bigger projects. And I think we'll see that these these films will be impactful moving forward. So I think another interesting category is the role of often the bad guy, but not always about Africans, often like African warlords or soldiers. I mean, if you look at it, Jimon Hansu was nominated for Blood Diamond. Now, he was a, definitely a good guy in that movie and a very complex character, at least in compared to other African characters we've seen, for sure. But the dude from uh, Captain Phillips, a movie I absolutely hated, I thought Captain Phillips was as, you know, overly patriotic and jingoistic and racist as you know, some of the other, uh, like, Middle East uh, war movies, like American Sniper and so forth. But they nominated Barkad Abdi, who was the, you know, lead pirate or whatever. And he did a great job, but watching the movie, I knew... Did you see the movie, Captain Phillips? Saw portions of it. Okay. So it's about, you know, just really briefly, it's about... Oh, no, I, I, yeah. I, I saw it. I mean, I know, I know, the, I know the synopsis, but... For the Bizzlecast listeners, okay, I'm saying. If you haven't seen it, it's a it's a true story about, you know, one of these numerous pirate attacks off the uh, Horn of Africa by Somali pirates. Tom Hanks, who I'm really sick of at this point, was the lead. And, uh, you know, he developed, I suppose, a relationship with his captor. But they really missed an opportunity to make the captor more three-dimensional you know they spent like a second at the beginning of the movie showing the village being really poor and him being kind of forced into being a warlord because they had no money and that is historically accurate but you still have to make them multi-dimensional and then you throw in beasts of no nation on netflix which i haven't seen yet for the same reason gabriel's only seen part of it uh, Gabriel, you want to? Uh, well, let me just set it up, and then you can talk about it. Piece of No Nation, where Idris Elba on Netflix, I guess, plays a, a hypothetical but historically grounded African warlord. Correct. 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 And the it, Beast of No Nation was in theaters in Ghana because it's uh, the language is it's a it's a tree movie. So I noticed like a it's not set in Ghana, but. I believe the it was shot it was shot in Ghana. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. But but I mean look at it. That's a movie about, you know, <laughs> child soldiers in Africa. Mm-hmm. You had Blood Diamond, another movie about child soldiers in Africa where you had to rely on white people to help solve the situation and it was just lots of horrible African warlords and what they did to the kids. Uh and then you have Black Hawk Down. <laughs> I love Ridley Scott, but Black Hawk Down, you know, literally is two hours of white guys with machine guns just mowing down uh, Somalis. And then you have um, the winner of the 2006 Best Actor Oscar, Forrest Whitaker, for The Last King of Scotland. Now, he was playing Idi Amin, who was a really, I mean, he's he's a somewhat complicated I would consider him a bad guy overall, like in real life, but I understand that yeah. it got mixed up in the Black Power movement a little bit, and so, or, or you know, I can kind of see that. I would love your take on on the movie and Idi Amin. I, but I thought the Forrest Whitaker, just with his acting skills, made it a multi dimensional character, even though he was psychotic. He definitely made the made the character charismatic, where you could see why 
you know, he he ascended to power and why he was able to to make people love him. I mean, I, that, the first part of that movie, you 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 really you really like Idi Amin as as a character. He's so he's so exciting and energetic and charismatic. But sorry to interrupt. It was framed perfectly too. Having James McAvoy, who, as I've said on my X Men commentaries, McAvoy is my favorite actor that doesn't get enough work. I don't know why. He's spectacular. He was amazing in the X Men movie in 2014 as Professor X. Anyways, James McAvoy as the uh, Scottish doctor, the Scotland's actually referring to him in some ways. That's where we, his naivete and wanting to kind of believe in Idi Amin brings out what you, you know, the softer side or whatever, right, that you're talking about. Go ahead. And that's. You know what? I, right now, it's been so long since I've seen it. I saw that in the theaters and ha- and haven't revisited. But I remember, you know, and you know, you are looking at Idi Amin from McAvoy's perspective, which is which is interesting to note that you know it is from from a, a white a white man's perspective what's going on. But um, yeah, you do it. He does become you know fleshed out character. It, it goes a little bit over the top towards the end. Like and some some facts may have been you know disputed or like you know cannibalism and things like that and a lot of those things aren't a hundred percent you know are they are known to be factual like they're just could have just been like speculation you know but overall you know a good role like did DeForest Whitaker you know des- deserve the role it's been a while since I've seen it but from what I what I can recall just making the different shades that he had to bring to the character you know I, I, I believe it was deserving at the time and also recognition of, of Forrest Whitaker's work over the years he's just been a, a great great character actor yeah um, you know so many so many great roles over the years Ghost Dog I think it was I think that might have been like the role that you know really made me love his work I love Ghost Dog yeah, so yeah good. such such a great movie and yeah so at the time you know, I didn't. I didn't think it was. You know, I, I felt it was deserving. I, I probably should revisit the revisit the movie. So, you know, in terms of awards in my lifetime, the the first one that happened in my lifetime and was a movie I saw, maybe not at the time I was a little young, nineteen eighty nine, Denzel Washington, the young guy at the time. One for Best Supporting Actor in Glory. I don't know if you've seen Glory. Nominated. No, one Best Supporting Actor. Mm, yep. He got. It. Yep. Mm-hmm. Nineteen eighty nine. He won Best. It, it it was the best actor award that had uh that had been uh evading him all these years in okay. uh, yeah in uh in 89 he was actually nominated for two movies he's nominated for cry freedom and glory and he's played numerous uh roles in in Africa I believe but I am looking at it here on multiple sites he won for best supporting actor okay um he's the first african american at the time to receive two best supporting acting nominations and that was a great movie about the Civil War. I don't know how it would hold up today in terms of production values, but, you know, it's a pretty powerful performance. That was, I think, definitely, you know, a, a, a reward for a great performance and not just, uh, you know, political thing. But then next year, you have Whoopi Goldberg winning for Ghost, Best Supporting Actress. I mean, that movie, first of all, holds up terribly. Um, I can't, you can't even watch it for five minutes on television. Go ahead. It's so bad. Yeah, it's, yeah, I, I don't know what that's about. I mean, that may have been a do-over or a makeup for, for The Color Purple, which yeah. was an amazing, amazing performance from her. Now, that's, that's the only thing I can, only, only way I could justify that one. Okay. No, well, let's, let's, let's follow that train of thought. Something that we've talked about. Being rewarded for a movie when you should have been rewarded for a past movie. 2001, Denzel and Training Day. 
Um, I actually really like Training Day, even though I don't like anything else that that director's done. What's his name? Uh, Antoine Fuqua. Yeah, Antoine Fuqua. I don't like any of his work, but just because of Denzel's chemistry with Ethan Hawke, who I also love, I totally dug it. Now, I don't know how that was the best actor versus best supporting actor, so that was a double whammy in terms of uh, makeup award, right? Because not only was that a makeup award for past performances, but they, they somehow made him into the best actor instead of the best supporting actor for that movie. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, it was... It was and uh, and for like uh, you know black people look at that 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 was the the award that he should have received for Malcolm X that, right you know, yeah yeah that definitely or like Malcolm X's was like such a, an amazing performance in a in a in a, in a, in a film that that stands up stands out up to this day like you know and um eh, it's it's a little dated but it's so well done you know yeah. it's I, I definitely watched that like once a year probably yeah it was it was a fun performance you know he really got to you know show it show a different side and like you said the, the chemistry they had with with, with with ethan hawk and you know it was a different side of denzel that we you know it hadn't really really seen before and seeing what antoine fuqua has done before you know it was kind of one of those things where you know almost like uh seeing seeing the trajectory of m night Shyamalan's career makes you appreciate Haley joel osmond what he did in in the sixth sense and like what what uh well john mcclain um man the actor uh who who are you talking about john, john mcclain john mcclain uh john mcclain yeah john mcclain uh, uh the actor who played john mcclain i can't he's slipping my mind his his name what movie are we talking about? The Six, the Sixth Sense. Uh, Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis. Ah, yeah, yeah. So like seeing what performances M Night Shyamalan got out of his actors, you know, later on in his career, you know, you you revisit the Sixth Sense and you see like, wow, like Haley Joel Osment and 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 Bruce Willis really must have like taken over that movie. Maybe even you know said like, nah, M Night, I'm not doing that. <laughs> like maybe they, you know, maybe. But like again, seeing what what Antoine Fuqua has done, and you you can probably see just how special Denzel's performance was in that movie, or just maybe not like a special performance, but just shows Denzel Washington's ability as an actor to like to pull that off and just make it such an entertaining movie, it really carry and steal the movie. You know, he may not have been the lead role, but it is like that performance stole the movie. You know, just just dominated it. So. Also in 2001, this was like a cleansing year for the Academy. Now, you can debate the merits about whether Denzel deserved the award for that particular performance over everybody else. I'm totally fine with that because he's brilliant, and that was a very different movie and different role for him. But before that award even, of the four major acting awards, the, the only one that no black American woman uh, or I should say Black American period, had won it was Best Actress. Um, there had been Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Actor. So who did they decide to pick for Best Actress in the same year that Denzel gets his, you know, quote-unquote legacy award for Trading Day? Um, Halle Berry for Monster's Ball, a movie that I never saw. I don't know anyone who liked that movie. Um, she is basically emotionally tormented i believe uh in that movie by billy bob thornton so it's another like sort of slave situation i could be wrong that was my memory of the whole thing you know from from what i i, I don't know if i saw the whole the whole movie i believe like she's married to puff daddy who's like on death row or incarcerated 
And then Billy Bob Thornton is like a prison guard, I believe. And I guess, you know, that's which is a very unbalanced, you know, power, you know, situation right there. So, you know, it could definitely lead to that that kind of dynamic in a a relationship where, you know, the power is totally shifted. But yeah, I mean, I don't know if you remember that uh, that Jada Kiss song, Why? But it actually there's a lyric uh, and I I believe it's from prior like the next year. But it was um, Why the Halle Berry? No. It pretty pretty much it mentions like why did Denzel have to be crooked before he took it, and like why did Halle Berry have to be naked, and like you know basically Billy Bob Thornton it's like a very graphic sex scene in the movie, whereas like there's there's a lot of skin, it's 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 like very, you know blurs the line of like it's kind of pornographic, as uh, I'm you know I may have seen that scene by itself in isolation who knows well uh, well and dude to tie it into what you were saying before right i don't know if you said this but but 12 years a slave was like slave porn you know what was happening to lupita nyong'o both physically and emotionally and this is what's so disturbing you know right you'd have denzel become a really really horrible bad guy and these women in horrible victim situations speaking of which i forgot to mention one more recently speaking of victim situations which is 2011 Octavia Spencer won for The Help. Right, right. Which I did not see. I've heard mixed things from people who have seen it. But, you know, that wasn't exactly an empowered situation in Mississippi in the 60s for black servants, I would imagine. I could be wrong about that. Yeah, I don't know if you've been... It's it's called The Help. uh, (laughs) I can't believe they called it The Help. It's really amazing. Yeah, like that. That was like kind of offensive for me, right there. I was like, "No thanks." You know. Well, perhaps, but, perhaps it's ironic. Is that po- Is that yeah? Is that possible? Maybe it may be. I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, Viola Davis is is a is a very talented actress. I'm sure. You know, they they brought a lot of depth to the the roles. You know. Sure. Uh, so you know, I, maybe I discounted it too much, but it was just you know another period movie, period piece. Where people in a you know black people in a subservient role like it 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 didn't appeal to me it didn't appeal to me at all so interestingly uh, numerous white women and black women were nominated for that movie so that that doesn't happen very often um, and it was cool that Octavia Spencer was the one who won I don't know if I know Jessica Chastain who was like the mother and then there was uh, Emma Stone they were all nominated so that's impressive and just to uh, bring things around to the superhero movie stuff, Viola Davis and the uh, Suicide Squad, huh? I, ha- I have to say, uh, being a Marvel guy, it's been hard enough keeping on top of Batman v Superman, although I just did a Man of Steel commentary with my boy Matt Goisman, uh, mm-hmm. so I'm paying closer attention. I just got the classic Frank Miller trade paperback, The Dark Knight Rises, on which the Dark Knight movies and the upcoming movie draw heavily from, apparently. Um, so I'm excited about that. Um, but Suicide Squad's the one I really haven't been following closely because if it's awesome, it will be great. And if not, <laughs> I won't have wasted my time. Uh, but uh, go ahead. You know, they just they just released a new trailer uh, in the last week. Oh, I didn't know that. Didn't fall into the same pitfalls that the, the most recent uh, Batman v Superman trailer did, like showing you too much. Yeah, still of a extremely well done trailer in terms of like it, enough to get you excited. And um, Bohemian Rhapsody plays like through the entire song, <laughs> uh, through the entire trailer, which kind of that like manic energy of that song 
really captures the spirit of the movie, or at least what they're trying to convey with like all these bad guys, and you have like the Harley Quinn character just being you know out of her mind, and it's got it's got people excited for Jai Courtney. I know you you know you defended him about an in, in Terminator Genesis, I but did. it's got you know it. Jai Courtney is that he's actually doing an Australian accent, probably for like the first time in a in an American movie. Yeah, you know people people are starting to talk like, hey, this could be a time for Jai Courtney not to disgrace himself. So like people are getting excited, man. Uh, sorry, I have to stop you. He did not disgrace himself in Terminator. If you just see it once or twice, he just seems bland. But he's a pretty subtle actor, uh, and considering how over the top the other characters were in the movie. I, I think <laughs> as I talk about. Um, if I ever release the commentary, which I'm not sure I will, you know, the, the, the best thing, if you're not a great actor and the material's not great, the best thing to do is underact rather than overact. And I think if he did anything wrong, he underacted a little too much. But if you look at the lines given to him in the movie, he has the right. worst writing by far of anyone. In you the know movie. what? That's, that's the curse. Of, I guess he has a great agent and then also like a bad agent at the same time. You know, he gets gets tons of work, but he got to he has to. Uh, so wait, he's in Suicide Squad. What the hell is he doing in Suicide? He's doing Captain Boomerang, I believe. Captain Boomerang. Captain Boomerang. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I, I got to watch the new trailer. I didn't even know he was in it. I'm just pumped for Will Smith and Jared Leto. Um, Will Smith? I'm eh, kind of over Will Smith, to be honest with you. Well, I'm over him, too. I just thought this would be like a cool way of getting him sort of re-engaged um, with the popcorn world. Because he's definitely not in the new Independence Day movie. Uh, they have some new black guy. I don't know if he's supposed to be Will Smith or not. So nah, you he, he, he seems pretty young. Yeah, yeah. He's like a young guy. Maybe he's junior. Or I, I've heard that they're saying that uh, Will Smith's character. I don't know if this is a, just a rumor or something, but I heard they say that uh, he died and like a, they were testing some kind of new alien technology. So I guess in a new movie they have the alien technology and they, they they're saying he like died in a test of like some of the new spacecrafts or aircrafts they were doing. So so anyways. Uh, so just to run through a f- few more here and then we'll talk to bigger issues, <sighs> you know, um, I'm a big fan of, uh, of Bill Simmons, the, the sports slash pop culture writer, TV personality, podcaster who was fired from ESPN, even though he was their biggest moneymaker because he told them to fuck himself basically. And now he works for HBO, much better situation. He can curse and talk about anything. Uh, but a few years ago, he came up with a great idea, which would never happen. But from just a pragmatic standpoint, in terms of judging movies, makes total sense, which is wait three to five years after the movie is released before you decide on nominations and winners. And I think a perfect case of this is Jerry Maguire in 1996. It was a huge sensation. I'm not sure it's held up well. I'm not blaming it on Cuba Gooding Jr., but the show me the money Jerry thing, I mean, that just became a joke, right? Yeah, it was a it lasted for a couple years, but ultimately it just, you know, kind of a fad thing. You know, it'd be like late 90s they were spice girls show me the money like it, it didn't you know it's not going to make an impact like going on so yeah so it wouldn't pass that test of the three to five year test certainly and i i mean i don't want to comment specifically on his performance again an interesting role now we talked about just to round these out and then we'll bring it back to 2015 2016 you know we talked about sports and music being places where black actors and actresses 
can get wider exposure into white audiences or just wider audiences um, because people love music and sports. And uh, I'll just run through a couple. <laughs> black people are really good at music and sports. And black people are really good at music and sports. That's, here's the problem. If black people get good at everything else, white people are screwed because we're never going to be as good as music and sports. So if you you know, so if the education gap and the economic gap ever closes, it's the same thing with men. You know, if women ever have equal power to men, men are fucking screwed. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, a lot of people, you know, you, they they may get classified as kind of on the on the conspiracy theory type uh end of the spectrum, but no, there's a lot of a lot of white supremacists. Yes. You know, they that's kind of their 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 rash like right reasoning behind yeah, yeah like you know like we don't i'm obviously them. being uh, uh, playful and facetious yeah here. but no that's like it's kind of real like people you know you know it, it is it's funny to think about but no some people are really really frightened by that prospect you know of course not not you you know you, that's a that's a fun that's a fun thing to you that's why you're you're a good guy but no a lot of people that scares a lot of people which is hilarious because you know i mean it's not like we need to use uh, advanced deductive logic to pull apart the arguments of white supremacists, but they're at the same time accusing non-white people of being inferior and yet horrified and terrified at them being superior at the same time. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, oh, they don't work. That you know, they're they're not smart enough. But oh my God, they're going to take all of our jobs. <laughs> and, oh, and and not just that. I know. I know we've touched upon the topic of porn a couple times in this, but like I'm telling you, porn is bad for people, man. Oh yeah. <laughs> that whole like no, there's there's like the black male being like a a, a a genre or you know category of porn that's you know it seems to be quite popular. You know that that also like adds another level of like insecurity let's say that you know may or may not be founded but you know so you can add that to the list of things that where black people are, are perceived to excel at. <laughs> actually dude that reminds me of a big point can we can we jump modern real quick yeah, um i was just gonna say to wrap up the historical stuff uh jamie fox foray in 04 morgan freeman also in 04 for million dollar baby and then jennifer hudson in 06 for dream girls so that's three um and if you include uh forrest whitaker also in 06 that's four acting awards in in three years for african americans three of which are in the sports music category and then you got the last king of scotland so you know the the gap between awards is shortening and then you have a year like this year can we bring in star wars sure can we bring in star wars let's do it so i think jj just did this for narrative reasons in terms of leaving the romance between ray and finn open it seems like friend zone territory but you know finn does seem to have a little crush on ray i think and ray's the type of person who could grow to love someone who's a friend i think also but i ask you with all the outrage about having a black main character in star wars which was mostly just you know idiots on the internet what's gonna happen if there's like real sexuality between you know <laughs> finn and ray you know uh, in star wars on on screen I'm, I'm not saying they're gonna have sex but you know what i mean <laughs> you know the black man and the white yeah, woman yeah, that's a bad that's a bad segue man were we just talking about porn <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm serious though man i'm serious 
I think the racists, as much as they hated Boyega being in that role, were even more scared shitless that there was going to be, you know, like actual sexuality between them. I personally would celebrate it. Some people are saying Finn and Poe are going to end up being gay lovers, so that would be another interesting I angle. Mean, I've, I've seen I've seen in a uh, in an interview where uh, Oscar Isaac said that he was playing it, you know, romantic. Yep. You know, it was like some of the, you know, his motivation or that he was playing off of, and you. Uh, Watching it, you know, at the second time, there's definitely they definitely have some moments, you know, you know, with the jacket, like, hey, it looks good on you, <laughs> you know what I mean? I think like, it was it was less that it was the touching and and Poe just yeah, I think Poe had a crush on on uh, on on Finn uh, right from the get go. I think Finn has a crush on Ridley, and this is it will be a very interesting love triangle if this is actually what's going to happen. Well, yeah, that's that's a whole another thing for people to get mad about. So there's gonna be there's gonna be a lot, but you know, um, clearly it would definitely give the series a different tone, a different trajectory, like almost like going into Empire Strikes Back, but in a new way, or like just just tackling different issues, making it more realistic, more grounded to 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 delve into that stuff. So yeah, there's a lot of lot of potential there that that was set up nicely where there's you know speculation on these things i guess the bigger point i'm trying to make here is uh you know how many like big time movies have we seen interracial activity on the big screen at all even in 2015 it's so rare i'm I'm trying to think of all the major black male i mean it's way more common obviously for white men and black women um but in terms of black men and white women and, and and big uh, screen i'm having trouble coming up with any off the top of my head which is disturbing uh let's see yeah it wasn't even like a white groupie in nwa and uh, the... <laughs> right just the, the evil jewish manager i love that <laughs> he's you know he's suing he's suing for like yeah for like a hundred million like a hundred million dollars or something i mean dr dre has money dr dre has money a lot of money yeah, I yeah. think you know what though. I, I the, the first of all, I don't think he's going to see much money. Second of all, I bet they made him look better than he was in real life. I'm just guessing. I could be wrong. I'm Jewish myself, and I've worked in the music industry. But you know what? I've watched some interviews with the the, the dude uh, Jerry. I forget his last name. Jerry but, Heller. Uh, Jerry Heller. And um, you know, like they, he did, he did seem like he had some valid. He had some valid gripes, like where they they misrepresented his character. Yeah, they we never had definitive proof that he would. The, the 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 fucked up thing that he did was say, "I don't care about anyone but Easy E," and kind of push them out without telling them what was going on. But once he was working for Easy E, Easy E was going crazy, spending money and doing stuff. It's not clear that Jerry Heller was doing wrong even when he fires him at the end it's not totally clear now maybe that's just paul giamatti who is going to play a three-dimensional character even if it's not a three-dimensional character because he's so damn talented that's that's very possible but yeah i agree with you i I don't think it was just an evil manager and when you see what those guys were doing i mean you know there's plenty of blame to go around really the core of that character and it came through in the movie was that jerry and and you know easy e eric they really did have a truly caring, loving relationship with each other, and um, you know, in the in the like kind of the the murky way that Easy E passed and like 
kind of that, that mystery. And, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of speculation in you know, urban legends. I don't know, you know, he, none of his family members have HIV. His wife didn't get HIV. None of his children have HIV or AIDS. And, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of like conspiracy theorists out there. Some people like blames, they say like Jerry Heller has something to do with it. Maybe like oh, Shook Knight. This is like the CIA giving cancer to Bob Marley. I love right. it. Yeah. Yeah, but there, there's a lot of that going on. But it, it is unusual that, like... His symptoms were so symptomatic of late-stage AIDS. Um, I mean, he could have just died of pneumonia, but to have a zero white cell blood count... I'm not, I'm not an anti-conspiracy. That's, right, right, right. That's not one I'm sure we should spend a lot of time on. Oh, no, uh, no, no. We're not, we're not going to discuss that. But <laughs> I'm just saying, like, those are things that, you know, that, like, are on Jerry Heller's mind. That, sure. like, these are, like, behind the scenes, like, there are accusations that are being levied against him like there was jerry heller behind you know easy death which you know is, is, is outlandish but like those are things that he has to do i actually like listen to a bunch of interviews interest interesting dude and even now like you know his love for easy e is like is really at the forefront of like anytime he talks about the stuff so this is a great transition um into straight out of compton which i want to talk about i've talked so much creed on all my podcasts Maybe we'll finish with Creed just as we started with Creed. But let me ask you this: uh, We're about the same age, right? You're, you're. I, I was born in '81. You were '82. '82. Okay. So when NWA was in their prime, we were like seven, eight, nine, something like that, right? Yep. They were so huge that even a kid who didn't grow up with a lot of hip hop in the suburbs, although I had friends who did, knew NWA because they were so huge. <laughs> I mean, they were just huge. They were revolutionary. But the first real rap that I listened to was the West Coast stuff in the early 90s because that's just what was popular when I hit like, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Like Dre and, and Snoop and, and uh, you know, maybe a little Tupac and then go east, a little Biggie. You know, those were the guys, the 90s guys were the guys I was more familiar with. I had to go back later when I became a big hip-hop fan, uh, which didn't really start till like, late high school, early college, and I be tried to become a little historian and, and learn, you know, all the way back to African Bombada, and then tracing it back to blues music and slave music and so forth. I have a lot of theories about all this. I did comment in, my, uh, in one of my commentaries that if NWA came out today, it would not be considered extreme or radical at all. <laughs> No, I mean, for the language, I mean, they're actually talking about shit, you know, and when, and I'm not the person that's going to call, you know, early to mid 90s rap gangster rap in like a derogatory way. But let's be honest, NWA was talking about stuff. And then their sort of aggressiveness and style and sound got stolen by many other musicians who were l less worthy. Um, it's sort of been my impression. Now, the movie romanticized them, obviously. So, it, it, you know, I had to go back and do some reading about the whole thing. I'll, I'll let me put it this way. I don't think the movie was as sort of wrong as some of the ac accusers were, were making it, from what I can tell. So I'd be just be interested from you. Um, did you grow up in Philly? Those formative years, it, you mentioned like 9, 10. Uh, I was actually in South Carolina. I think I think like ten, eleven, twelve. Oh, South um, Kakalaki. Yeah, yep, yep. Down south. So you and Stephen Colbert. It, it was different for me. Like I had a I have an older sister, and I don't know. Maybe it was just access. Like we didn't have a CD player. I bought my first CD. Like one of the first CDs to enter our household was like maybe like ninety six, ninety seven, and in, in the small town we lived in in South Carolina, you know, there were there were no like 
music stores, F, you know, FYE or whatever. Sam Goody was was a thing back then, something like that. Sam Goody. Yep. So really, you know, you kind of you got your music from the radio. You tape you tape the radio, or like you know, you listen to whatever your sister sister brought. So um, really, the West Coast. I don't. I kind of missed a lot of the NWA, uh, the initial wave, but definitely got like the, their solo stuff. The Chronic definitely got uh, Ice Cube solo stuff was definitely influential, and all, all that. Like Snoop, Snoop and Dre were like huge when they were, you know, like ninety one, ninety two, just like massive down south. So um, yeah, definitely like the NWA legacy. Like I, I, I didn't. It did, I didn't make the connection at the time that like they were still just continuing the wave, the energy that they had from NWA. But like though, you know, Dre, uh, Snoop, Ice Cube, and even when you know when Easy E died, like I remembered, you know, I don't, I don't even really remember a lot of Easy E's music. Yeah, but I remember too. I, I remember like where I was. Yep. Like when I heard that Easy died, I was like in the in the gym, and it was yeah. just like, yeah, Easy passed away. Like everybody was talking about it. So you know, they, they were like, even though like the NWA itself, like that music wasn't like on repeat, wasn't really played. I didn't really know it. It like launched those the, the people, those rappers into like superstardom that would you know move forward so i'm really glad you mentioned that because when, when i was talking about this actually i think this got cut unfortunately because i i was going to do a top five just did a top three but uh so i did talk about straight out of compton i said you know two very vivid memories growing up are fuck the police and easy dying and that just shows you know that some kid like little kid in suburbia who knew nothing about anything related to that at the time remembers both of those things very graphically um you know is your impression um i guess like seeing the movie i mean do you know a lot about their past or i mean like when you're watching the movie you're going oh this is bullshit or this really happened or did you go into it knowing it was going to be as one uh critic brilliantly called it online a documentary slash fantasy you know a friend of mine were talking about it like afterwards and my best friend and he's like yeah you know ice cube was just you know just a family you know a family man like choir boy like he never did nothing wrong his whole life and it's just kind of just laughed about it like it's definitely portrays you know easy e like all of the the weight of like the street life was placed on easy e allowing like every other member to just you know kind of you know, be these like paragons of, uh, of, of of good behavior and just like they, you know, these these forward thinking visionaries that were, you know, just ahead of their time and the clearly destined to become moguls in, in Hollywood. And, you know, that, that clearly, you know, it's like going through it. And if you look back, like, yeah, that's clearly a distortion. Like, you the whew, early, like the late 80s, everybody sold crack. Like, crack was like so ubiquitous in the hood. Like everybody was like deeply touched by crack in some way. Like, you know, crackheads in your house, like the temptation to sell crack at like one point was like, I'm I'm sure even if you didn't get like heavily involved and then became like a big time like trafficker or seller, you you know, you were a lookout. Like if you were outside, you were probably approached like, yo, here here's twenty bucks if you hear the cops coming, 
you know, yell like or or transporting dope in your socks. Like it it would be extraordinary if between like Dre, uh, Ren, and it, it really none of them were even really implicated or involved in like any other like street shit or drugs or any illegal activity. No, my my impression from people who criticized the historicity was mostly they left out stuff about like domestic violence and abuse. Oh, sure, yeah. and that's that's like extremely well known that uh, yeah. that Dre was like uh, you know oh a, a yeah woman beater you know mm. so I mean even on Wax like you know in the Eminem song the uh, guilty conscience he's like I'm gonna take advice from the woman that smacked D Barnes you know that's on Wax like it's it's known it's it's like talked about so for him to completely gloss it gloss over it yeah it does hurt like some of the credibility so it does hurt the credibility i will say however in defense that when you have two of the top three actors producing the movie um with ice cube and dre being executive producers it could have been so so much less realistic i mean for all the flaws they did go out of their way to make all of them flawed, even if we didn't see all the flaws. And it was a pretty, uh, I don't know. I mean, they definitely made Easy e out to be like totally manic and crazy, but they did make him have a good heart despite whatever problems they had with him in real life, right? I don't know. What, what, flaws, what flaws did... Uh... Well, just with women and drugs and just, you know, breaking shit and just being immature and, you know. All right, so, all right, so, like, Cube... Like where they kick where they kick the naked chicks out of the room and you know stuff I, they, like that. Yeah, womanizing, sure, but well, not just womanizing, but treating women like shit. I mean, that was the one thing that wasn't addressed in the movie was was treatment of women. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It was very enjoyable. It felt real, and, and uh, you know the parts that weren't real, even if you didn't know it, they like telegraphed it in a good way. I don't know if that was intentional or not. But it worked for me. Maybe I just knew more about it than than that I realized uh, ahead of time. If that makes sense. So uh, yeah, I dug it. You know, and no, uh, it was a it was a it was a good movie. And for what it actually, I was starting up, man. I, I was upset there wasn't more music performance. I mean, you had the Detroit scene, and then you had a couple studio scenes, but then everything else was just character stuff, which was great. I would have loved. You know, like, Creed gave us the perfect amount of fighting, you know? Like, it was just a perfect balance. That movie could have used a little bit more um, almost 8 Mile style shit. I hate to say it. Uh, I'm not saying 8 Mile is a better movie. But the rap battle stuff in 8 Mile, while it was meant for a general audience, was a cool element uh, to, to that movie. You know, it's just there's so many characters. So many. To, 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 to divvy up yeah. the time to, you know. you know, And he did, they got the flesh out the three you know e dre and uh and cube right you know got got the majority of the screen time but they you know and then you have like the the tertiary characters jerry heller was a you know got a lot of screen time paul giamatti like man kuda has he has he has he been uh has he won an academy award yet i don't know if giamatti's won an academy award by the way he has a new show with uh damian lewis that's supposed to be quite good yeah, he's definitely won um TV awards for uh, his John Adams miniseries, which you'd think would be so boring, but HBO did it a few years ago. It, it was spectacular as John Adams. It's, it was such a cool portrayal um, of, it, in realistic portrayal of, of uh, you know, the signing of the Declaration of the Independence and so forth. Oh, right, right, right. Um, so that was great. I'm going to uh, look up yeah. real quick. 
the uh, American Splendor. Was he was he nominated for American Splendor? He won. He has like five or six. I'm looking at nominations. It. He's got like five or six nominations of like from. Uh, that's the thing. He's <laughs> he's a well known actor, but he's so respected among like the highfalutin film critics, like all the film critic circles. I mean, for Sideways, he has like two dozen. Actually, he won a shit ton. He won about a dozen big time film festival awards for Sideways. Um, and was also nominated for the Golden Globes. But in terms of Academy Awards, I don't know. Yep, he was nominated for Cinderella Man for Best Supporting Actor. Nominated for Golden Globe. I'm not seeing John Adams here. Maybe these are just movies. Oh, he was in 12 Years a Slave. Wow. You know what? Yeah, yeah he was. He was nominated yeah. for 12 Years a Slave. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, John Adams, he won... Uh, primetime emmy and all sorts of other stuff for that for sure that was absolutely brilliant so um, yeah also also mm -hmm. the rhino and uh amazing spider <laughs> <laughs> let's not forget the most important award uh, maybe worst worst russian accent you know you definitely won worst russian accent of the year oh wow. man yeah dude <laughs> it's Doing good accents, going both ways, is so difficult. I always give uh, English actors a lot of credit for that. Um, I mean, Chiwetel Ejiofor is a perfect example. I mean, he had to not only talk like an American in 12 Years a Slave, he had to talk what like a semi-well-to-do black American during the slave times would talk like, you know? He's excellent at it. Christian Bale's good at it. There's a lot. But anyways, we're getting a little far afield here. So... You know, I guess we'll just wrap up with creating kind of bigger issues. We've been avoiding the the elephant in the room, uh, the, the giant elephant, the woolly mammoth, which is is Hollywood racist? Or let me rephrase this: Does Hollywood have a race problem beyond the obvious one, beyond the list of you know winners or 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 people who are involved? Would you say? Well, Hollywood is in many ways a reflection of of america and you know Amer america still has issues that it needs to work through and you know we have a black president right now you could say like the same way we have you know the majority of nominations have been in the you know recent recent past so there's there's definitely progress there's definitely um in hollywood in terms of just more i guess more access to uh minority filmmakers i mean certainly the internet is allowing people to probably get more experience and more accessibility to the to the the, the medium uh, than ever before like i you know i don't know where ryan coogler came from but to be like you know his second movie and you know just it's, it's astonishing you know you know really excited about him that dude's 29 which means 29 he was, he was 25 when they were doing pre-production on fruitvale station so at 26 he's like or you know 25 he's like yeah i'm gonna pitch it before this is before he's even made his first movie yeah i'm gonna pitch the rocky uh you know a, a rocky seven to stallone with like i'm gonna write it i'm gonna you know have michael b jordan do it I mean, it's 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 incredible. That's it's called incredible. that's called balls of steel. Yeah, and then, and to, and to make it happen, like to to see it through, and then and to be like that successful. So, okay, so let's follow Ryan Coogler for a second. I want to get back to Black Panther. I, 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 you know, people don't take me seriously. I mean, they realize that Black Panther is going to be cool, but because it's comic book, 
But I really believe that by the time Black Panther drops in early 2018, and by the way, it's the lead-in movie to the Last Avengers movie, or at least the first part. Like Black Panther comes out February 2018. Three months later, Avengers Infinity War Part 1 comes up. So it's not only gets the benefit of being a big movie, but it's setting up the Avengers and introducing important characters and so forth. That's going to be the first movie ever with a black director with a budget of well over $200 million. I don't even know what's close. I mean, what, bu- what black director has even had a $150 million budget? There has to be someone. Yikes. Um, so so we have a movie set in Africa with a black director and a black star where everyone's going to be black and African, but like a $225 billion budget and all the special effects and other production that Marvel has to offer. I mean, if that's not a mainstream like black power uh, uh, movie, then I don't know what will be. Or I should, I'm not sorry, not black power, black empowerment movie. I don't know what will be in terms of the mainstream. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's going to be... It's a lot of a lot of ground being being broken. I mean, know? is that is that a fair? Am I getting a little ahead of myself that that a movie like that could accomplish in this day and age, where the line between like you know blockbuster and non blockbuster movies is is fading a little bit in some ways? And I mean, as much as you you know your your all your shade thrown at Mad Max, you know, I think you know the recognition of uh of 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 Fury Road as a as a best picture is like showing that you know movies can do both now where it can kind of have that popcorn you know really but i feel just creed does that better is what i is where i keep coming back to well i mean creed is a is a, is a more well-rounded movie it's, it's a more well it, it's, it's a much better movie let's it's be a honest much, it's better at being well-rounded it brings more to the table like what what fury road does if it, it's meets and exceeds every goal that it had to do I mean, Creed had more on its more on its plate, and and yeah, it's yes. probably it's probably a better, it's a, it's a you could say it's better, it's more fulfilling of a meal, you know. Like Creed is a you know a Big Mac, a, a, a seven course. No, Creed is oh, like a so seven I'm, course. I'm sorry, I thought you were gonna say Mad Max. Yeah, go ahead. no, no, no. Creed is like a seven course Moroccan feast. You know, <laughs> you know they're bringing out the dessert, got the tagine you know, going. You know, they got the tagine and it's halal. You know. <laughs> You know, you know, you got all your bases covered, and like, you know, and 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 Mad Max is, uh, you know, it's what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you want to compare it to? A Big Mac? I don't. I wouldn't say Big Mac. No, it's it's better than the Big Mac. Let's say it's a Bobby Flay burger. You know, you're going out when Bobby Flay burger Burger Palace was hot, and it was like, oh, you know, this is like something geared to the mass market, but you know, it's stamped by a visionary. You know, and uh, all right, I'm going to I'm going to point out two reasons other than just filmmaking that people have both openly said is a reason they love Mad Max and and is affecting people subconsciously. You ready? The first one I'm going to dismiss easily, which is Charlize Theron, who is a very subpar actress. I don't understand why she's famous. She was not good in that (laughs) movie. She's Tom Hardy with five lines like monsters. Then. Uh, monster no it's terrible did you oh my god she's so bad she was ugly though she was so ugly see prometheus man um she she she's just not a good actress. now when she was just playing the badass furiosa or whatever she's fine but when she had to actually emote or and like cry or show emotion in that movie it was absolutely terrible it was terrible but um the second out. reason people say they love the movie so much is they're sick of 
you know, all the CGI and all the special effects, and they love how practical it was, and blah, 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 blah. You know the problem with that is? I've seen the behind the scenes on Mad Max, and there's a shit ton of CGI going on. You know, just because they they blow something up doesn't mean it's not being enhanced and all sorts of other stuff going on at the same time. That really bothers me uh, personally. You sound, you sound bothered, Jesse. I'm very bothered. It's it's, bothered. it's it's nihilistic. It's boring. It's one long chase. Tom Hardy doesn't even get to do that much. And, you know, I just I just don't understand it. But, you know, there's always going to be movies like that that I just don't get. So, you know, maybe I won't get The Revenant. I don't know. At least I know I love the director and stars in The Revenant. Um, but, you know, I just think people are, are, are coming up with sort of rational reasons to like Mad Max. I'm not making any accusations of you so- here. But I think deep down, people need a little joker. They need a little nihilism in their lives. They need a little chaos, a little senseless violence. It's just our society, you know? And, and that's what's great. There was violence in Creed, but it was never senseless, you know? There was a purpose to it. And in the better superhero movies or action movies, there's a purpose to the violence. Yes, it's for entertainment, but there's more going on. I didn't feel like there was anything... I mean, <laughs> I guess the, the, the strength and weakness of Mad Max is there's nothing else going on besides what's going on, right? I mean, there's no subtext in that movie. There is subtext. I mean, there's there's elements of you know environmental degradation. Um, definitely human rights stuff, like the subjugation of women, and you know, uh, I just think you human know, trafficking. Movies like Children of Men do this so much better. You know, it's such a more believable and relatable in human scenario. But it's a sum. It's a, It was a summer blockbuster, Jesse. It's a Mad Max. This is Mad Max. Four, was it four? Mad Max four. You know, you have to you have to put it in context of, you know, you, you came out with your your five best blockbusters of the year. So, you know, it was early summer, was a blockbuster, it's an action movie. It was an action movie. And you have you have to look at it through that lens. It's a, a sequel, action movie, and in that context, it succeeded and brought more to the table than most summer summer action movies. That no and and it, it it caught people off guard. Nobody and the things that it did, it was so it was so fucking weird. Just so weird that like and and people were able to like it. It just it when it was brave. It, it took a lot of courage to just be that off the wall, that weird, and still be embraced by like mainstream audiences. It was it was it was, it was it, yeah. I'll say it again. It was just like brave filmmaking that George Miller was able like that confident in his vision. To say, you know what, this is like a passion project, ideas that he had, you know, stewing for for decades that like, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. This is I'm gonna do it my way, exactly how I want it, you know, the the, the technology is there for me to get this done right now. Yeah, he saw it, he, he saw it to the end, uncompromising in his vision to make it just like extraordinarily weird and just you know, yeah, it, it was nihilistic, it was uh, violent. But, you know, it was also, yeah, very brave. I mean, I'll be honest. I'll be honest. I've been making lots of sort of abstract or, you know, um, philosophical complaints. I just got bored, honestly. I went to the theater expecting to love it. But by an hour through the car chase, I got bored. It's just a personal taste thing. So, yeah. So this is not not a shot at anyone because most of my good friends, you know, really like the movie. And so there was definitely something to it. Uh, that's fine. You know, 
compared to like Brooklyn or Spotlight, I mean, this is the problem with the Academy Awards, and maybe we can move into Creed here, which is like, what is the criteria, right? We've never been told, as far as I know, I've looked for this online, you know, what the hell is the criteria for this movie? It's completely unclear. I'm sorry, for any movie, it's completely unclear. <laughs> you know, I mean, how do you compare Spotlight to Mad Max to The Martian to The Revenant? Well, that's the nature of art, my friend. You know, it's... Oh, it's, but uh, please, this is about politics as much as art as we've been talking about. That's true. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, okay, and ultimately, you know, I've, I've, I've listened to like a, a lot of what the people with more stake in it have had to say, like Ice Cube. You know, he basically said, you know, I don't make movies for an award. You know, he didn't produce it to, for, for the accolades and, you know, asked, after, asked if he would he wanted to boycott the awards or his feelings on it. He said something to the effect that, look, I'd never go to the Oscars. Like, it's not something that I ever really was interested in. So I can't boycott something that I never, never planned on going to anyway. So, yeah, the Academy is out of touch. You know, they're they're like trending into being irrelevant you know by their by their omissions this year it's a stroke of genius on their part that they have chris rock hosting the thing and it's probably going to call them out on all of it oh yes he's already wrote written that he's rewriting the whole thing yeah so it's probably going to make for some like maybe their best ratings or like most compelling reason to watch that we've had in years maybe that's their plan i don't know i mean ricky I don't know if you saw the uh no, you know, I, the I Golden didn't. Globes. Yo, Ricky Gervais was was just ripping folks the whole <laughs> I know. It gets it's good like rating. Speech. Yo, he's just ripping everybody. So, you know, maybe they they're just maybe they're just stoking uh Chris Rock up for for some uh yeah, he's going to he's going to let him have it. And quite frankly, yeah, I mean, that's it, it may be the only thing that makes the Academy Awards relevant this year is like what's Chris Rock going to do? Okay. So can we do a, I want to do a quick analysis of the last couple of years, and then we're definitely going to finish with Creed, just because I, I noticed something really interesting here I should have noticed before, which is, so there's no black nominations this year, but from 2009 to 2014, there were five movies nominated, including 12 Years a Slave, which won, which are either quote-unquote black movies or involve black people. The one I'm not sure about is The Blind Side. I didn't think that was about black people. I, I thought that was the Sandra Bullock movie that she won for. Yeah, it was Sandra Bullock and uh and is and uh it's based on a true story with like Michael Orr. He's like an offensive lineman. I think he plays for the uh, Carolina Panthers right now. Okay. He was with uh I don't want to turn this into <laughs> into a sports thing. No. But he was with the, he was with uh, the Ravens for a long time. He they, you know, he was kind of labeled as being a kind of mediocre player, didn't live up the hype. He was a high draft pick and now he's playing for for Carolina, obviously. He, he's doing all right, I guess. So it's basically Sandra Bullock uh adopts this kid or like brings him brings him home. So it it is like uh Sandra Bullock's movie, but it, it involves yeah, I mean, it involves a black black uh character a sports a football player you know which i guess you know the academy ate up wait, so wait and he was black yeah he's black okay Michael, Michael see Boyle. i'm an idiot i should know all this i apologize okay so 2009 you had precious and the blind side both nominated neither one the winner in 2009 was the hurt locker which I, I, that's 
hard for me to be upset about because that's one of my favorite movies. Great movie. Also, uh, they had Anthony Mackie in a, a mm-hmm. very prominent role in that. So actually, had two Avengers. It also had Jeremy Renner, <laughs> aka yeah, Hawkeye, 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 and uh, Falcon. And they're both on Cap's team. I wonder if they're going to make any self-referential jokes in Civil War about uh, Renner and Mackie fighting side yeah, by they, side again. Or maybe maybe like Hawkeye has to like defuse uh, a bomb, de-arm, defuse a bomb. <laughs> Um, so, you know, that was the year with Avatar, District 9, Inglorious Bastards, Up. Yeah, that was a good, that was a solid year, you know. So, that was 2009. 2012, Reginald Hudlin, who we've been talking about, the, you know, BT guy slash comic book writer slash just all around awesome um, middle-aged African-American executive producer and producer, was nominated for Django Unchained, one of my favorite movies personally. I've been meaning to ask you about this. Uh, now, Django Unchained lost to Argo. And Ar- Argo, it, this is one of the, the biggest travesties in the history of travesties. That movie was terrible. And not only was it terrible... You know, it beat out Zero Dark Thirty, Silver Linings Playbook, uh, Les Mis, Django Unchained, Beasts of the Southern Wild, all movies I would have easily put ahead of Argo. I can get why people don't want Les Mis. The other four, though, Beasts of the Southern Wild and Django should have been at the top. Uh, how did you feel about Django Unchained? And side question, um, you know, <laughs> if you stack up 12 Years a Slave next to Django, which one does more harm, I guess, in terms of the historicity of slavery? Go. That was a big question. Well, love, love Django. Love Django. Love, like, can I wait? Can I, can I be can I be real for with you for a sec here? Go for it. Do, do black did black people like Django in general? Man, I'll be super real. Black people fuck with Django heavy. Like, it's not even <laughs> you know there was you know because that's how because no, that's how Jewish people felt about Inglorious Bastards. We oh, we man, love like, Inglorious Bastards. The energy in the theater. I believe I saw uh, Django at the at the uh, uh, rave. I, I think I saw it twice in theaters. Like the energy in the theater was, uh, it was just, it was like electric. I mean, the scene when, when, uh, Jamie Foxx is in like kind of like the, the blue suit, like mm-hmm. looked kind of ridiculous, but he's like whooping the overseer's ass. Mm-hmm. Like there was like applause, like people were jumping up and like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was, it was like crazy. So, so wait, let, let me jump in though, because this is a perfect comparison because, that movie for my people was Inglorious Bastards, and they were both by Tarantino, right? They're like these revenge fantasies, um, and as cathartic as they are, and goddamn, I, I love both of those movies. Um, you know, I mean, in some ways, in <laughs> Django, you, you know, even as a Jewish person, I was more angry and then pumped up for the revenge because you know the performances were that more brutal than inglorious bastards i mean the the nazis did some bad thing and things in inglorious bastards but it doesn't get as graphic as like the mandingo fighting and stuff like that um so that and and of course it's less apparent that it's fictional in Django than in of course like you know adolf hitler was didn't like get get shot up in the theater so it's like there, there's always that like overarching thing like, all right, he's, he's playing with history. Well, that's true. But the question is, you know, could there have been or were there, you know, Jewish units? I mean, you know, Israel definitely sent Jewish units into Europe to fight. So that part was, was not historically accurate, but it was based on some actual history. But yeah, the, the Hitler stuff, you know, go ahead. Yeah, yeah go ahead. But there's, there's uh, but no, like a character like Django. You know, just just because it it was it didn't have like that spe- specificity 
of like the characters of Inglorious Bastards, you know, it could be more relatable. And I don't know if you're um, there's Sundance um, Birth of a Nation. It's a movie, a movie about Nat Turner mm-hmm. is like currently in I think it just uh, Searchlight Pictures just bought it for like upwards of 20 million. OK, there's like a bidding war over it. OK, um, that's something to look out for, like another slavery movie, but more like Django, where there's like issues of like retaliatory violence and, and things like that is at the for- forefront. I guess what I'm saying, man, is did did Django contribute anything? Not that this had to be the case. Did Django contribute anything to the discussion of slavery, or was it just a like a really really well done revenge fantasy movie that we've all been wanting to see since we were kids and learned about the horrors of slavery? It was, man. You know, it, it was cathartic. And honestly, there is there there's a good amount of like slavery fatigue in a, in America in the in the black community where it's like. That's and that was like re thrust back into the the limelight with with twelve years a slave. Like we, I mean, we saw roots. You know, we. I remember like one time in no, we have like that's that's our like our documentary history is 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 that narrative, and um and we we've seen a lot of it. So that we're we're at the point where yeah, like we're we're there we're we're at a we're at a certain like fatigue fatigue with it that. Like it is, it's painful. It's painful to watch. So yeah, Django was was a much needed. Just like it was a cathartic. Yeah, because I, I I grew up going to Jewish day school through eighth grade before I transferred to public school, and man, did they show us a lot of Holocaust videos. I mean, they really hammered it home as a kid. It's pretty traumatic. I get why they did it, <laughs> uh, but, but in the same way, seeing Inglorious Bastards, it also uh, X Men First Class where. Magneto's going around killing Nazis. That's great as well. Oh yeah, it's awesome. But you see, see <laughs> X Men First Class, like the guy uh, with the mimic. Uh, what was his name? Uh, yeah, I had I had beef with X Men First Class on their on their treatment of like the black the black mutants. <laughs> uh, right. Okay. So there are two new black mutants, and right. uh, Lenny Kravitz's daughter Zoe. He's beautiful. Right. She's the one to go bad guy, of course. Right. But then they had Darwin who also looks like he's going and you're going, Oh my God, both black guys, but actually Darwin risks his life to try and save her and ends up dying trying to save her. But just in that, you know, race was completely, you know, it took place in the sixties and, and X-Men always had that role of being like a surrogate for like, kind of like the racial issues, homosexuality, you know, in the comic book world, Jews, uh, blacks, like homosexuals, with, right? Yeah. Any, any, any oppressed like minority group or or fringe, you know, a uh, group that's pushed to the fringes of society. And there was like in the '60s, and it, it addressed like you know anti-Semitism straight up, but it never, it never addressed like the elephant in the room that like here are black people in the '60s, and that is why Black Panther is gonna do all of these things. I think we're finally gonna hear some race talk they're gonna have to be restrained because it's disney and it's marvel there's no way you make a black panther movie and not talk about race a little bit i have to think now maybe marvel's just avoiding it by just adding tons of new black characters Mm -hmm. uh though we have yet to have a female black superhero as far as i can tell but uh yeah i i hear you man the problem with x-men is it's so heavy-handed about just racism and discrimination and hate in general, that if you start bringing in specific groups 
then it really just could get convoluted. I'm not excusing it. I, I'm thinking just as a writer. And Darwin. And Darwin. <laughs> he did him dirty. Was he? Was there any other mutant that died in that movie? I can't remember. He was, and he was just dispatched so quickly. Like well, here, have fire, here's a fireball to the to the throat. Well, like, to be fair, every single mutant that leaves with Magneto at the end, including Emma Frost, who he saves, uh, uh-huh. played by uh, what's her face from um, from Mad Men. Um, they're all uh, uh, experimented on and killed between that movie and Days of Future Past because there's we see early on. In, did you see Days of Future Past? Yes. Jennifer Lawrence is disguised as Peter Dinklage, and she's going through the files, and you see the pictures of all of those characters, white, black, and otherwise, all having been captured, killed, and experimented on. And then Magneto is, you know, accusing Charles of being responsible for. So most of them die. And now we're getting a ton of new ones, including oh man, I can't believe we haven't talked about this storm with the frog. Yes, with the mohawk, with the frog. Yes, it's going to be thing. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be a thing of beauty. I'm getting the Daisy Ridley feeling about her. I need to see some more footage, but she came out of nowhere. She's done nothing. She's young. She's beautiful. Seems charismatic. I'm thinking they did their research. You have to get Gene, Scott, and Storm correct. You know, they're the three leaders mm-hmm. of the X-Men. And the thing is, they're introducing like six or seven new X-Men who are 17, 18, 19 years old in real life because the rest of the cast is going to be moving on. They have to nail them. And so I'm really excited for the Storm character. Speaking of Halle Berry, oh, what happens to a frog that's struck by lightning? <laughs> That's not her oh, fault. That's not God, her fault. I guess that you know you can put that on the writers, but she was know. great in X two. Her relationship with Nightcrawler, I love that. She thinks he's so beautiful. He's so weird looking. She's so bitter at mankind in this bizarre you know, alien, <laughs> devilish-looking creature is a Christian trying to save everyone's souls, humans and mutants. Kind of teaches her how to be. You know, like a real person again. That was great. She just wasn't written well for in the first movie. I know a lot of fans aren't aren't huge on Halle Berry. Yeah, I love her personally. Man, she's whew, she still got it too. Oh my I'm, god! I'm, when they show yeah. her briefly at the end of uh, Future Past, when he jumps to the future, I mean, her and Famke Jensen don't look like they've aged a day in fifteen years. They're just so stunning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, all right, man. Well, before we before we do a Creed wrap up and then make Oscar predictions, uh, I think we've covered a lot here. So, all right, so we've been all over the map here and talking about race and Hollywood. Um, Gabriel, you're, you're you're not as uh well. You're such an upbeat guy. I don't know why I thought you would have been pessimistic, but you seem a little bit more cautiously optimistic than maybe I thought. Reading between the lines about where things are going. Uh, the, you know what? No matter what the Academy Awards say, say, or what the award and choose to award, it doesn't detract from the fact that those movies were made, and that you know, and that you know, Ryan Coogler's, you know, Marvel, you know, just gave him presented him with like, you know, here's an award. We're gonna put the Black Panther franchise in your hands. So I mean, you can be frustrated, but you know. Creed is it made its money. They're already talking about it, talking about a sequel, talking about how that sequel may surpass the original Rocky movies. They, they, I, well, this movie surpassed all but the original Rocky. Oh, um, yeah. And the sequel's already set for November 2017. So they're going to so, have to find a new director, but Michael B is definitely down, it seems like. Yeah, so there's a lot to be, a lot to be excited and optimistic about. So can like I, I said, can I put forward a, a crackpot hypothetical with Creed? Shoot. 
Is it possible that Creed being the catalyst for everything going on with the race talk in Hollywood and Chris Rock and so forth and the protests actually preferable to being nominated for an award in terms of its notoriety and just getting attention in a positive way? Does that make sense? Like, let's put it this way. If you were Ryan Coogler, right, before all this went down, and they said, look, we're either going to, you know, nominate, you know, all of you or a bunch of you, and none of you are going to win, but we're going to give you, like, a token nomination. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to give you a Best Picture nomination, but you'll be number nine or ten, and you have no chance of winning that. Or <laughs> none of you will be nominated. The world will be in a- outrage, both in and out of Hollywood. Chris Rock's going to make numerous references to it during the Academy Awards. Oh, and by the way, Ryan Coogler, you're doing Black Panther because of this uh, and because of everything you've done. And Michael B., you're going to be doing Creed 2 and all sorts of other movies. I think they would have taken this scenario, which doesn't make them less offended, nor yes. should they be. But, I, I, for, you know, <laughs> from a publicity standpoint, this is kind of a good thing for them, right? Or am I totally out of my brain here no ultimately i know the 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 controversy a lot of people because of ryan coogler like they assume he's a white guy (laughs) because of the name ryan coogler like it doesn't strike you as a as a as a as an african-american or black name so i mean the controversy is 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 actually showing recognition i mean if you'd have been nominated and you just look on a list and say they don't, even, they don't show a picture of every director. Like, nobody knows what Ridley Scott looks like. But, yeah, because Ryan Coogler, uh, because of the controversy, he's going to get the notoriety as being a black filmmaker. And now it and is. And he a is a black dude. Oh, I mean, dude, bro. Yeah. Bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's like, a black dude. Yo, he is hood as hell. Uh, like, I know. Bro, I was, like, watching. I'm like, yo, this dude is a hood <laughs> as shit. Like, like, yo, I can see why he came to Philly and, like, really understood. Like, I have a theory, like, if there's, like, a portal in, like, space-time that, like, can connect two places. Uh, it's like Oakland and Philly uh-huh. share such a link. Like, there's really... Um, that's that's a good point. That's interesting. Yeah, like, if you... if you Like, I was in Oakland like, a couple summers ago, and I was like, you know what? This place makes me feel like it's got a real Philly feel to it. Yeah, like so f- for for Ryan Cooler to really come to Philly and really get like what fit make what how Philly works, it like makes perfect sense. Like, as, and then like once I saw his interviews, I was like, oh, I get it. Like, this dude is he's an Oakland, he's an Oakland ball, as we would say. Right. So we got a fucking brilliant but <laughs> highly credited director who's twenty nine. Now had two acclaimed movies, the second of which made a ton of money relative to the budget. And I mean, the the great thing is, you know who's really most outraged, or who is also most outraged? It's not just the black and and uh, left wing public, or um, I'm sorry, uh, black and and like radical publications. It's like the New Yorker and the New York Times. I mean, the New Yorker and New York Times have been writing numerous articles about how egregious this whole thing is, and they're supposed to be like. You know, I, I mean, you think sort of part of the the problem. So everyone respects him, and then you take this guy who, by the way, is twenty nine from the hood in Oakland. Give him two hundred twenty five million dollars to make Black Panther. I mean, that's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, he's the youngest of all the Marvel directors. You know, it, it's nothing to do with his race. He's just that talented. No, and, but it it it's clear that Marvel was trying to get a, a black director. Oh, that to, was that was a non-starter. It had yeah, to be yeah. a black director, black. Lead. It, was, it yeah. would just be it would just be weird otherwise. Well, no, it's like with Miss have, the like, with the Miss all, all black cast in Africa, and yeah. then like it would just and then you know the one white guy there calling the shots. Like it would it would make for 
just like trying to, you know, to give it an authentic feel of like African black experience and not have it be a black person, like oversee the creative direction of it wouldn't really work. Got it. You know, so um, like, yeah, it had to be. You know, it kind of had to be uh, a black director. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, Luke Cage on Netflix is is directed or showrunner is black. Uh, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Do you see? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you see Jessica um, Jones? I'm about, about about two or three episodes in. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, just wait. It's about to hit a roller coaster. It's, it's great. It just gets better it's with intense. each episode. It's yeah. intense. Man. It's intense. So and the guy Luke Cage, even before Jessica Jones came out, they had, were planning on giving him. Uh, it's like a team of four. It's Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and some dude named Iron Fist. I've never even yeah, heard of Iron Fist. Before. Yeah, he's yeah. um, the Defenders. They're yeah, they're, and then they're doing a team-up Defenders movie as well. But yeah. they, they were all supposed to be one-offs, and uh, they've already, you know, the, two weeks after Daredevil came out last spring, they ordered a second season. They've just ordered a second season of Jessica Jones. So that's doing great. Anyways, back to Creed. Yeah, I think they're in a good situation career-wise. Honestly, the thing that's upset me the most was that Stallone somehow forgot to thank uh, Kugler and, and Michael B. at the Golden Globes. But I think that was just a brain fart of an old guy who was overwhelmed. If you really watch it and read the transcript, because he immediately came on. They had already pushed him off the stage, and they were going to commercial. He came back on and like gave a whole you know bit during the commercial break about the two of them and then with the press backstage so the guy with the most pressure out of is Sylvester Stallone because a he has to remember to thank Ryan Coogler and Michael B. Jordan immediately um, <laughs> upon receiving the awards but b maybe have to chime in on this race issue which I hate to say it I hate to say it Stallone is <laughs> of, of all the white guys in Hollywood you know Stallone is in an okay place to comment um, it, you know, in a pro-black way on this whole situation. I mean, and Creed just proves what, what we've known. He, he's always had a good reputation among minorities. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, look at, just a, look at Apollo Creed, the character. There were no characters like Apollo Creed in the 70s. If you were a black guy, you were a bad guy. And yes, Apollo Creed was the opponent, but he was smarter than Rocky. He was more clever than Rocky. He was richer than Rocky. He was more educated. Then they became best buddies. He trained Rocky. I mean, he was w- way ahead of the curve. Stallone. That's was. probably a, a product of Sylvester Stallone's own experience in Hollywood. He was being typecast as like a mugger or like a goon in every role that he was in. So he was like, you know what? I'm gonna like bring humanity to a character that would normally be that. And you know, Rocky was like a kind of a tough, like a street tough or whatever. But sure. I'm gonna give that character depth. So naturally, you know, when Stallone was in a position to, you know, write other characters or even give opportunities, yeah, he gave, gave, uh, did just that. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Um, just really quick before we sign off. So I had already seen uh, Creed numerous times when uh, I took Gabriel to see it for his first time and he really enjoyed it. Then he saw a second time and sent me a very excitable text, which I was really happy about, about how flawless the movie is because that's a word I use all the time to describe the movie. Um, a- any la- last impressions from, from your second viewing? Because you've seen it more recently than I have. Anything you took away the second time that you, you didn't get the first time, kind of? Um, just this importance of and this what it says about like blackness in the state of like black identity, it kind of went over my head a little bit initially. Um, and like what it, what it means to be black. Like, you know, you know, you don't, you don't talk like a fighter. You don't, you're not uh, underprivileged. Like most fighters are like the analogy, 
like being a fighter, you can you can almost exchange that with you you know you don't talk like a black person or you're more privileged than a black person is is usually assumed to be. So yeah, I love I love that Tessa calls him a, a square and then says he's not a square. And when he wins the first fight, he's like shouting at her, "Who's the square now? Who's the square? Who's the square?" You know, but it's <laughs> yes, true. Exactly. It's, yeah. So. Like I, and this is something that I've just thought about, like along going through this, this path. Like if you, like the whole thing about boxing is like trying to find your identity as a boxer. Like he's, you know, his father is the same as like trying to find your identity as a black man in America. And what does it mean to to be a black man or to be a boxer? And to like, you know, I guess, I guess in a, a lot of the movie was like trying to get get out of your father's shadow. But yeah, that, that's a that's a big part of the black experience, or and a, and a greater experience of like being a man in general is that how you relate to your father, the lessons that he gives, you know, you trying to fulfill their legacy, you know, that, that it just extends down to like Apollo Creed was that black man who defied the stereotypes of his day, and you know he was ahead of the curve and running his own business and managing himself and being outspoken and you know. The, those roles reverse. So then you have like the Creed character kind of embracing those same things. Like I don't have to be, you know, use, you know, foul language or be like necessarily the most street guy to box. Like even though, you know, I'm going to box because I love it and not because, you know, it's my only way, my only avenue. And like, and so there's a lot of parallels. In, no, I mean, just uh, to jump in, in my Creed, yeah. in my Creed podcast, I say exactly what you said and what they did narratively and, you know, this will be I, – I've analyzed this movie to death, but this in particular, the way they set up the movie, Ryan Coogler, that is, is brilliant because they give him immediate cred by having him grow up in juvie and bouncing around from group homes. But then he gets adopted and gets an excellent education and upbringing and is extremely intelligent. I think it's very important to the character. For this character in this movie in 2015, you needed him to not be a total square – you know, to have had a little bit of a rough past, but to also be, I mean, Rocky, you know, acknowledges early that he's way more educated than Rocky is, which which was mirroring the original Rocky, where Apollo Creed was way more educated than Rocky was. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, why would you choose a boxer's life? And there's that great scene in the beginning where he tries to get Wood Harris, a.k.a. Uh, Avon Barksdale, to train him. And Avon yeah. says, nah, dude, these kids are fighting for their lives. I'm fight for life. Got to fight for life. Yeah. And he goes, I'm not training you. Hell, I'm going to make sure nobody trains you, which is part of why he has to go east. I mean, that's the thing. The narrative is just boom, 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 boom. You don't have to be told why he's going to Philly. You know it's about Rocky. Very little exposition, but when it comes to the black thing, yeah, they make little jokes where, uh, you know, he's moving in with Rocky and Tessa uh, looks at, uh, you know, um, Rocky and says, you're white, <laughs> and how can you be his uncle? You're white, and Sloan just goes, yeah, for a long time now, you know? I mean, they, it, that's what's great is they don't ignore the fact that he's black, but the movie's not about that either, or at least not only about that. That's how I felt, and one of the many brilliant things about it. That'll be my final thought. You have anything else? Man, uh, I need to go check out that. I haven't listened to the, the whole Creed podcast yet, but well, you gotta it'll, it'll you gotta help me, man, because we're we're uh, we're pro- approaching three hundred. So so spread the word. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll definitely like get on that. Yeah. I mean, if yeah. you want if you want to hear more specifically 
um, about Creed. We talk a lot about Rocky history and Stallone and stuff in that podcast as well. My best of, it's my top three, but I spend really half the time talking about Creed as, as my number one. So you can check out that one too. So uh, cool, man. Well, thanks so much for being on. This will be an interesting podcast to cut up. Uh, we went long as normal, but it was great. Lee Blade in there. Shout out Wesley Snipes. Free Wesley Snipes. <laughs> yeah. Some people say Blade 2 awesome. is better. How do you feel on that subject? It's more fun for me. I definitely I definitely uh return to it more. I even watch it with the uh with the with the commentary on. It's it's brilliant. The the commentary is amazing. Guillermo del Toro is Oh, that's a great idea. Such a cool guy. If you this, I think, um, I, no, I think Guillermo, I think Wesley Snipes and like Goyard, uh, no, you know what? They may all be three. There may be two commentaries, but, uh, David S. Goyer, uh, Wesley Snipes and, um, uh, Guillermo del Toro. And there's, uh, there's like so much, so many jewels. There was supposed to, Michael Jackson was supposed to have a cameo in Blade 2. <laughs> As a vampire? <laughs> or a werewolf? Yes, man. It was supposed to be a vampire. It was supposed to like they were in like a vampire house. And they opened up a door, and it was supposed to be Michael Jackson, like in a room, like playing with some entrails or something. And like Guillermo del Toro was like, <laughs> "It's supposed to be fucking Michael Jackson in the room." <laughs> yeah, it's like what if what if what if uh, what if Blade opens the door and you've got the thriller guys doing the werewolf dance or whatever, you yeah. know? Uh. Yo, you got, I'm telling you, man. Like and. And like Gearbo is so like when when the shit is not going like right like when the CG sucks like he's like oh my god this looks like shit <laughs> <laughs> like it's so good like I would say like watch Blade Two like just for the just for the commentary bro like, oh I love it, like, commentaries oh man like he's he's yeah he's awesome it makes like uh, and and in the movie does have its flaws like when the, you know and he calls him out like it's it, you know. All right, man. Bizzlecast listeners. Yes. Signing out. Yes. Everybody go, go get on that uh, Inside Out. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, dude, congratulations on uh, co-contributor status. I'll try and get you some superhero-related <laughs> memorabilia. So thank you. All right. All right, Jesse. Peace. All right. Peace out, Gabe.